and welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast, the Kansas City Royals Podcast in association with Inside the Royals. I am Jake Melham, and joining me for the first time in nearly a month is the man, the myth, the legend, the beat of Kansas City, Lucas Murphy. Lucas, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, Unfortunately, it's Sunday. We were kind of talking the weekend's seem to just fly by around here especially with this being summer uh i'm doing good though man how about yourself i'm i'm doing all right man i'm i'm feeling the same way you know we we hosted some friends over this morning for a for a little lunch and like i just got done cleaning up with all that stuff and i blink and bam it's four it's almost 4 30 and time to start cooking dinner dude so i yeah, am man I'm not looking forward to the work week, but, and it's, it's also going to be a little bit of a weird work week because we don't have any Royals baseball again until Friday. So that's going to be a little strange, but that, did I uh, hear you right? Are you trying to go to the game on Friday? Yeah, I think we're going to, we're going to attempt to at least try to go. It's uh just depends on the weather. Obviously it's in the Midwest. We're pushing a hundred degrees this week, every day it's and the humidity comes with it. So uh, with a pregnant wife and a three-year-old, we'll have to see if, uh, if we can bear the heat if uh, to see some fireworks and hopefully the Royals win. Heck yeah, no doubt, man, no doubt. Well, hey, let's uh, let's not beat around the bush too much, man. Um, unfortunately, the Royals go north of the border after all the scuffle of last week with the ten guys going to the restricted list. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on, um, but they do come back to the all-star break with a one and three trip up to Toronto. So not the best outcome. Um, but honestly, it, it was kind of like the Houston Astro series. It was a pretty damn tight series. Um, you know, you're one, you're one, actually your multiple bullpen collapses away from winning that series. Let's, let's be real, man. Um, Lucas, I, I'm not going to throw stats out there right now. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on seeing these young guys play. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I've, I can't tell how many tweets I sent out talking about the youth movement and the excitement. I mean, how many times on this podcast have I talked about like the change in culture needs to happen. And, and when it does, you'll start to see kind of like almost a resurgence on in, in the players. I think you saw a new Nikki Lopez from this, at least a voice of Nikki Lopez coming from this. Um, man, I think this honestly, from just an overall, I think this was a much needed kind of like boost to morale to not only the players, but the front office to the fans. Um, and I think you could see that it really kind of clicked. I think they were just trying to figure out a certain lineup, but man, it was just, it was so awesome to see guys that you just don't get to see. And you've been anticipating wanting to see like, like Nate Eaton, man, like talk about having a series and uh, Nick Prado. And I mean, Michael Massey getting out there and Garcia and, and some of these catchers that I didn't even know existed into the organization. And uh, yeah, man, I was super pumped about just the whole thing. Plus I always like when we go to Toronto, I think it's just, it's a cool baseball field. It's the Rogers center is not very big. So like home runs could happen at any time. And, um, I hear the fan base up there is extremely friendly and it, it's just a really cool place. So, um, yeah, I would to recount and cap the whole thing. I really, I enjoyed it. I really was honed in. I, I wanted to watch every single game that I could. And, yeah. uh, I enjoyed as much as I could. Well, there you go. That's all you can do. And it was a little bit of a, a different enjoying experience today for the, 
for the series finale, uh, you know, on Peacock again, no commentary. So I, I really enjoy it personally. Um, I'll, I don't know. I'll get your thoughts on that later, but yeah, dude, it is, it's always a good environment up there in Toronto um, for Saturday's game. I didn't even know this, but they had 40,000 fans show up just for a random Saturday game against the Kansas city Royals of all people. So a very strong fan base up there. Um, but unfortunately I don't think the Royals are going to come back to Kaufman on Friday and meet a friendly fan base, especially with those 10 players coming back. Um, and look, Lucas, we ain't talking about, we're only talking about one of them. Really. We ain't talking about the other nine. We're talking about Whit Merrifield, man. He really doubled down on his, uh, on his statement about like how he could change his mind about the vaccine and that it was uh, and you know, it was a personal decision, which, um, and Lucas, we don't have to get into vaccine stances and all that jazz, but I do, I feel like you have to respect someone's decision about that. But the fact is he doubled down and saying that, Hey, if I was on a different team or if I was going to a contender, I'd probably get the vaccination, but not for the 2022 Kansas city Royals. So Lucas in the grand scheme of things, him, him not going to Toronto probably didn't change a lot of things for the 2022 season outlook. But do you think on Friday, he's going to get booed out of Coffin stadium? Uh, it's hard to say, honestly, because I, I mean, I'm really like, I, I kind of, as a team, as a player who played the game of baseball for years and years and years, like you want guys, no matter the situation to be your teammates, to go to bat with you. And, and, and when Merrifield, I think for me is the epitome of that because th- he had what the Iron Man going uh, he has played on this team through probably another stretch of one of the worst, you know, see, season after season after season where we just haven't been successful. And he really never had an issue with it. But I think we're seeing the true, like, Whit Merrifield now. And I think that's what's bothering me and really why I just, I'm not a big fan of him anymore. Um, no matter the situation, man, you, you, you come out and you say what you're supposed to do. You're the leader of the clubhouse to me now. And, and even me and Kevin were talking and, you know, to me, could he be a cancer in that locker room now and, and flipping people saying like, you know, I, if I'm on a winner, then yeah, I can do this to me. It's not even about like whether you get the vaccine or not. I think to me, it's what his words kind of echoed and, and shot to the fan base and, um, uh, you know, just kind of how he approached it. Basically he was saying like the Royals aren't good enough for him. And and I think that, man, that's, that really upset me. Um, and I know it upset a lot of fans. I mean, man, Twitter exploded after he did that. So, uh, and I know radio stations that cover the Royals had call-ins and man, fans were irate. So I, I could see him getting booed. Um, but then I think we also, as fans, we have to take into consideration what he did for the Kansas city, even though we, we haven't won any AL championships or world series since he's been up here. It's still, you have to remember he did go out there and give you his all. At least we, we hope he did. Cause he yeah. basically made it sound like he's not giving it all this season. Um, but you hope that he gave it his all. And, and I think we still have to take that into consideration. Look, man, I, I tweeted out after he doubled down and, you know, I was just imagining, like, imagine him saying this in New York, saying this in Philly or L.A. Like, fans would be calling for his head, unfortunately, literally. 
for for saying that. Um, you know, I can't really blame Kansas City Royals fans for being frustrated about it. Yeah, um, it it kind of it kind of made it sound like he was punting on the on the team before the season even started. Um, but well, look, and I think well, go ahead. I think that's why Nikki. Nikki, I think low key took two jabs at him. Um, I think the first one was when they initially asked about the 10 not going. Um, he talked about, and mind you, Nikki, I mean, we all know Nikki plays up the, the middle mostly in some third base. And when Nikki says, like, when you first get to the major leagues and, and you come, you know, you're looking for that veteran to kind of give you that guidance, he didn't say anything about Whit Merrifield. He said he turned to Alex Gordon. I think that was a shot because at the time, I mean, Witt, Witt was one of the best players on the team. And yes, Alex Gordon carried himself a certain way and, and led without really, you know, led by example and didn't really have to say much, but just did it. But you would think like a middle infielder would turn to another middle infielder who leads, I mean, is leading by the front and he didn't say that. And then I think also that post game interview after, after Friday's win, Basically, he's like, you know, that was a unselfish win. And um, I think, again, that's another shot at him. So I think some of the players inside the clubhouse are a little upset with the comment. I mean, obviously, Dade Moore came out and said that he was very kind of thrown off by it and very upset about it. But he's like, that's not who Whit Merrifield is. And um, so, yeah, I definitely think he sent a shot across the bow. And I think, you know, I think the the it, you might see – if he's not traded, man, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be tough because that locker room might be in turmoil again. And you definitely don't want that uh, going forward. No, you, you really don't. And it does beg the question, like how, you know, how is this locker room right now after wit and those nine other players saying what they said and, and there's no Salvador Perez and kind of your other face of the franchise right now, Bobby Wood jr. Is struggling a little bit. Um, so there, there's a lot of variables heading into this all-star break, but hopefully the guys, you know, take a physical break, take a mental break, you know, get themselves good to go and kind of hash out this stuff. But uh, Lucas, I don't know if you're a betting man or not. If you had to take yes or no, make a money bet on if Whit Merrifield is traded before Friday, what would you bet on? Man, any other time, if he didn't, if he didn't say those comments, I would say yes. But because he kind of said that, and they know that he's not vaccinated, and a lot of these, t- I'm gonna have to say no. Okay. All right. Well, hey, what, what do you think? I, I'm actually gonna go yes. Um, I think that the the ownership might be a little bit more motivated to get him out of Kansas City and they might be willing to accept a lower offer for his services. I don't Uh, think you're going to get anything for him anyways. Now, like that's, man, that's, that's what really kind of ruined it too. Is like, I just, I think from a business standpoint, he made it bottom of the barrel. Like you're not going to get anything for him. And like, now it almost looks like the Royals are desperate to get rid of him because of the situation. yeah. Yeah. It's, that's one of the worst possible. I mean, I don't think you were going to get a haul for Whit Merrifield anyways. So maybe obviously two, three years ago you could have, but now I, I don't see you getting a whole lot anyways. So um, I've even heard rumors that they might cut him, man. What are your thoughts on that? Shoot, man. If they, if they DFA Whit Merrifield, like that would be a largest fall from grace for any Kansas city athlete period. 
talking Chiefs, Royals, all the other ball clubs that have passed through the city. That's, I mean, you're you're talking within what maybe like a two week time frame. What Merrifield going from this franchise cornerstone, this guy who has just piloted the team through these tough times to, you know, a good chunk of the fan base can't stand him and the ownership does not want him. That would be absolutely massive. Um, and depending on who you ask, it could show some good things from the ownership group if they wanted to do that. Um, you know, willingness to make drastic decisions, either good or bad, um, a willingness to kind of move on from players despite their financial, um, what's the word? Commitment, I guess. You know, kind of like what they do with Santana. They paid a good chunk of Santana's paycheck um, just to get him out of coffin. So I don't know, man. We'll we'll have to keep an eye on that. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of chatter on the Merrifield situation during the all-star break, unfortunately, but we will, uh, we'll keep everyone posted here. You good with it? Yeah, man. It is, it is absolutely tough, but Hey, watching these young guys this weekend really made it a lot easier. Um, unfortunately though, one thing that is not getting any easier is Bobby Witt Jr.'s uh, defensive play, dude, like a guy who was known for it in the minor leagues and, Probably, I would say since the beginning of June, his defense has been has been fairly suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'll go and make amazing throws that pe- makes people think of Derek Jeter and the greatest that I've ever played the game. But then sometimes, you know, just can't make a can't make a throw on on target or on time. Um, I mean, Lucas as a guy who's played. Um, the game a lot and you played first base so how frustrating is it when your shortstop is just not like giving you a chance or is just making those errors I mean it 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 is somewhat frustrating at times you would it's your job obviously to to save that guy like not every play is going to be routine or perfect or um, I mean it is that first baseman's responsibility to basically I joking, jokingly, of course, they used to call me Hoover because I would basically like a vacuum. I would get everything I could. Um, and, and so I think in return, you got to have a first baseman like Nick Prado over there, not like a Hunter Dozier, not like a Carlos Santana that is very flexible, has the ability to kind of demonstrate range and show and understand really the position. I mean, Hunter Dozier obviously was not brought up as a first baseman and has kind of naturally learned the position. Um, I think when you get a true first baseman over there that can save some of those throws, it it will go away. Now the actual fielding aspect, like today, for example, the ball goes through his legs and then creates two runs. Um, That is somewhat frustrating. And, but I also think too, like that's the growing pains that we, we talk about when calling up these young kids, like they, yeah, fielding is another part of this game and it is also very challenging. Like they're coming up to, and again, they're major leaguers. They're expected to do this, but it's still a learning curve. Like the yeah. variances of the different types of fields. Like I am, it, I mean, I could be completely wrong here, but the Rogers center has artificial turf, except for the cutouts of where you would slide into the, into the bases, uh, Kaufman's natural grass. There's some places that, you know, that's just the way it is. So then you have people who like to cut things lower 
a lot of the time too, they'll, they'll ask their fielders like, um, Hey, how do you like the grass cut? And so there's things that can change and, but you're supposed to get true hops and, and things like that. So I would expect him to really step up. I mean, there's been a lot of errors. I mean, Rivera's made some errors at third. Yeah. Bobby Wood Jr.'s made, I mean, so it's just the growing pains, man. I think they'll, they'll turn it around. They'll get it figured out. That would be one thing I would anticipate them really working on in the second half of the season um, is defense and uh, trying to, to, to put out what the Royals are known for. And that's, you know, great defensive play. Yeah. And, you know, just a, a return to that solid defense will really kind of accelerate things for the Kansas city Royals. Um, I mean, honestly, as far as runs go, it hasn't been, it wasn't an awful trip to Toronto. I feel like, I feel like it could have been a lot worse. The Toronto mm-hmm. Blue Jays are a pretty solid lineup. They're right in the playoff mix. And, you know, the Royals really took him to task for, I'd say three out of the four games. Yeah. I mean, that, that lineup stacked, man. Like, yeah, I knew it, but then you, when you you're watching the game and like every hitter comes up and can just hit the ball out of Roger center, or it's just, I mean, Vladdy, I mean, Chapman, uh, I mean, Biz- or, uh, not Biggio, uh, Bichette. I mean, the list goes on, man. Like, Guriel, it's just incredible to see their lineup and what they're capable of doing. And then on top of that, too, uh, I, man, Alec Manoa, holy smokes, mm-hmm. man. That, that was a spectacle to watch. Like, that's a big man going out there and just doing a job. And it, it, I, me, as just as a fan of baseball, enjoyed watching him pitch. And that was really cool. Look, I, I'm blanking on the guy's first name, but the Blue Jays, Kirk, that player. Christian Kirk. I, I, that is the picture of peak male athletic performance. Dude. <laughs> he, is, he is a solid player for that ball club and I wouldn't pick him out of, of a lineup. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He kind of reminds me a little bit like Gary Sanchez in a way, like they, yeah. they don't, they don't look athletic whatsoever, but they're, they're good at what they do. Shoot, watching him stretching that. Uh, I think it was on Saturday. Watching him stretch a play into a double. Yeah, that man was fighting for his life trying to reach second. So it. Oh is. yeah. And so I, I think this all boils down to this. It was seeing those players go back to their respective ball clubs. You know, Prado and Massey and Eaton going back to AAA and. Rivero and uh, Garcia going back to double a, you know, it was the Royals were not perfect. They lost three out of four, but it was still fun to watch. Still fun to watch these guys progress and do very well against a good ball club. And now we're just, we're just returning to the norm and don't have any idea if that's going to be a successful norm or not. Now I do have to point out, you know how I love my numbers. The Royals actually do have a winning record in the month of July so far. They're nine and eight. They are negative in the score differential, though, unfortunately. But by far, that is, I mean, the Royals have kind of consistently gotten better. Uh, May was pretty dang rough, but they were 11 15 in June, and now they're on a pretty good streak here in July. So, Lucas, do you think uh, the Royals could make some second half noise in a sense? I do. Um, I'm going to kind of, kind of give you my thoughts real quick on this. I think, I think for me, 
because this was a good thing, no matter how you look at it, whether it was about vaccines, whatever it may be, you're calling some young guys up to give them their opportunity to, to suit up in a Royals uniform. But then also what you're doing and they know they knew that they weren't going to stick with the club. So what that does is that creates motivation. Hey guys, you got just a taste, a series of what it's like to be in the major leagues. Now go down and you got to see what maybe you needed to work on, whether that is your approach at the plate, whether that is whatever it may be, you go down and you work on it. And those guys, I guarantee you the fuel that they have and the fire that they have to get back to the major leagues is on a whole nother level. So it's going to be interesting to see those guys when they get back to the minor leagues, how they really perform. Uh, Cause I'm sure that they're going to want to come back. And I also think too, that we're like, we've talked about, it. there's going to be trades made no matter what the situation is. Michael A. Taylor, I would anticipate going somewhere as long as he doesn't need Tommy John or something. Uh, I hope not. Yeah. Andrew Benatendi obviously is probably going to go somewhere. Um, and then it went Merrifield. So some of these guys are going to start to get shipped off and you'll see uh, the younger core come back, but man, when they come back and you really have them for, a, we'll say a stretch of maybe a month, that's where I really think the Royals will start to, to come together. And, and again, they'll give us hope for 2023. But um, I do think I'm at my prediction right now, uh, obviously we are at the all-star break. I will say that they'll definitely have a, a winning record coming out um, or for the second half. Okay. That is a, that's a good step forward. Uh, they'll have to have a heck of a winning record to balance out their 36 and 56 record right now. Well, I, I'm, I'm more or less saying like they'll, when you break it down the second half, they'll have a winning second half. Excuse oh, me. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Not the, not the overall, although I was looking the other day and we were like eight games out of third place or something. I, for me personally, that would be our goal. Like, Obviously, we're not going to go to the playoffs. We're not going to win first place. But, like, let's at least salvage the season and maybe get, like, third place. I think that would be reasonable. Very true. Very true. Now, uh, since we do have a little bit of time, I do want to pick your brain about this a little bit. So, I don't know if you saw, but the the Juan Soto trade rumors. So, my first thought was, how is this going to affect Michael A. Taylor's trade market? Because... Honestly, Michael A. Taylor was kind of the premier center fielder on the trade market for a contender. Now you have, you know, the freaking Padres. They want to throw everything at Juan Soto. And I, I don't know, like, is a is a contending team going to try and get Juan Soto over Michael A. Taylor now, do you think? Man, uh, me personally, uh, I'm I'm usually very like excited, optimistic. I don't see this happening. I think he stays with the nationals. Okay. Um, but I think that what you're saying, yes, I think right now the talk might because their, their focus might shift because I don't think anybody really anticipated the availability of Soto. Um, but I think obviously they're entrenched in it every day and they deal with it every day. And so they probably truly know if he's available or not. Um, and then what the insane asking price is going to be for him just because, I mean, he, he turned down 440 million. So not only are you trading for this guy, but you're also going to want to pay him long-term. And if he's turning down 440, he's got to go to a ball club that can want to afford that. So, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if, if he truly does even move. Um, uh, but yeah, to, to answer your question, I think it, it can impact Michael A. Taylor. I think it can really impact Andrew Benatendi. Yeah. Um, because if Soto's vaccinated, then he's 
obviously can go to a contender that may have to go to Toronto if they, if they're in the postseason. So, um, yeah, I think that, that, that definitely impacts both those players. That is very true. That is very true. Well, Hey, if you had to, if you had to pick one of Ben attendee or Taylor to get traded for sure, for fair market value, who would it be? Um, I think for fair market, uh, I'm going to say Ben attendee. I think Taylor, it's going to be tough with Taylor because of the, the, the unknown injury status. Yeah. Um, I, so that's why I'm leaning towards Ben attendee because I think, uh, I think Ben attendee is probably going to be more likely to be like, yeah, I'll get vaccinated. And I think he's probably more down to earth. Okay. And so I'm, sh- I'm sure that if, uh, if that came to, to be like, Hey, you got to get the vaccine to get traded or whatever, I think he would do it. And then you would get true value. I think with Michael A. Taylor, I think, man, he hasn't played in what four or five games. And then nope. it was at least four. And then obviously the series, because of the vaccination, it could have been because of that. Um, so yeah, you're looking at what a week's worth, maybe 10 days worth of him being injured and not really hearing a whole lot. So that could be concerning and maybe his value goes down. Yeah, it, it really could. And he already didn't really have a cannon for an arm from center field there. <laughs> so any injury there is really hampering him. You know, I didn't get to see him pitch. Was he really pumping like mid nineties? Yeah, he was dude. God, no wonder why his arms trash now. There ain't no way. <laughs> ain't no way. Look, man, he he was trying to make his all-star game case for, you know, being a relief pitcher. Man, that's – no, I mean, yeah, when you don't do that on a consistent basis, I mean, I know, like, as as baseball players, we naturally kind of goof around. Like, we'll be warming up out in the outfield and we'll act like we're pitching and stuff. But, like, for him to actually get up there, like – Brett Phillips, when Brett Phillips goes to pitch, he's throwing 70 miles an hour. Yep. He's, you know, they called in Albert Pujols. He's throwing 40 sometimes. Like, if if he's coming in throwing not, yeah, no wonder why his arm is hurt. Like, come on, <laughs> dude. Hey, he, he was just having a little bit too much fun. He was probably dreaming about this since, you know, since peewee ball. So, look, I, I really hope it's not a serious injury, but you are right. It is a little concerning, the fact that we haven't heard anything about his status. So, hopefully, we'll hear something after the All-Star break. Um, if he is not active for that return to Kaufman, we should probably get a little concerned. Yeah, because the trade deadline is, what, August 3rd? Yep. August, so, yeah. So, that that is another thing. Uh, fans do need to temper their expectations for the trades, Uh, There is still two weeks left until the trade deadline and rumors have been saying that execs are holding off on major trades or trying to engage in major trade talks until after the MLB draft, which is tonight we are recording on Sunday evening. So we'll, uh, we'll have our reaction to the Kansas city's pick later on today. Uh, Lucas, I got one more thing before we get out of here, man. It is I remember before this season started us talking about the combination of Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado, you know, being that first base DH combo and dude, seeing it in Toronto, that was so, I was, I was amped, man. Like literally I, I, I got chills right now on my arm. Just, just thinking about it, man. I, I, I'm so excited. Yeah, man. 
Like that's why it should be. It's, and I just, I know the reason why the Royals sent the players back to where they were, you know, you gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta make those decisions and get those 10 guys back on. But I really hope we see Prado back up in Kansas city before too long. I think he will. I think, uh, I mean, depending on the situation with Dozier, because that's what's interesting. We've seen him play some outfield and they've more resorted to like Ryan O'Hearn. I mean, I know obviously right now, but they would, they would stick Dozier usually out there over Ryan O'Hearn. Yeah. And it's like, they've really been more, uh, I guess with Rivera, Rivera playing pretty okay over at third base. Um, you know, they've been more likely to put Dozier at first. Well, man, I, I, the way Prado came up and looked, I mean, he was amped that first game. Obviously, it's his, yeah. his uh, major league debut and kind of swinging at some stuff. I still don't think he would swing at, um, but he settled in, hit, hit his first home run. And, mm-hmm. um, man, I think that – and there was no question the glove was there. So, yeah, I think uh, I think you'll see Prado pretty quick, I, and me personally. Mm-hmm. Hopefully so, man. Hey, he got 14 at-bats, and he's got a 286 average going back down to Omaha. Yeah. OPS yeah. is above 900, man. You can't be complaining about that too much, right? No, and I think another thing, too, is that I think these guys, even though after after being amped and stuff, I mean, they they struck out pretty, pretty quickly in their <laughs> opening debuts, but, like, the patience they have, like, I think what impresses me the most about Pasquantino is, like, his patience as a, as a power hitter, yeah. like most guys get up there and they just want to pull and, and hit the ball as far as they can. Like he's a very patient, like will draw like pitches and getting a good, good hitters counts. And um, I think that's what I like the most about him because it, yeah, he does strike out at times, but like, man, he's looking to walk and not always just like hit that home run. Yep. For sure. We'll, uh, Hopefully we will have some more numbers on Pasquantino. I do. I do try to try to reserve my judgment until about that 100 at bat range. Um, I know that's why I did for MJ and we'll Vinny's almost there. He'll be there before too long, but Hey man, we, we got to get on out of here back to our Sundays with our families. Lucas, thank you very much for joining me tonight, man. Hopefully we will have you back on the podcast more here in the future. Okay. Sounds good, man. All righty. Well, Hey, Everyone, thank you for listening. And until next time, go Royals.